Welcome to the Lion's Roar Dharma Center podcast from Dona Darge Temple. This public talk by a student of Lama Yeshe Jinpa was recorded during a regularly scheduled Sunday service. And again, uh, I'm Marie, and um, again, I just wanted to welcome you um, and uh, kind of thank Lama for uh, asking me to do this talk. It's been a really good experience. Uh, kind of getting ready and doing the practice involved and getting ready in the study. Um, so it's just been a really incredible opportunity that's been uh, really wonderful that um, kind of has really helped me kind of spur into a different part of my practice. So I'm really, really grateful to him. Grateful to him actually for just making this place for us all to be able to come to and, and be together as Sangha and you know Dharma brothers and sisters. So... So today I'm going to be talking about um, a subject that's uh, related to uh, the Tonglen practice, uh, the Tonglen meditation, which is uh, sending and receiving meditation. And um, some of you may have heard of that. Some of you come to the Tonglen group on the third Friday evenings that um, I facilitate uh, each month here at Lions Road. Tonglen is a sending and receiving meditation where... Um, we are kind of, it's often called exchanging oneself for others, where you are visualizing another person, sometimes it's yourself, another person or group of people, um, and you are kind of taking their suffering and their obscurations and um, you know, their, their negative karma, all of that in. Um, sometimes it's visualized as a charcoal-colored smoke that you're inhaling um, in more tantric form of tonglen. You actually visualize it as like a black iron spear or arrow that's going to be piercing you right here. So you're breathing this in, and um, in the softer tonglen, you cultivate bodhicitta and loving kindness, and you take in that suffering, and you exhale out this golden mist of healing energy and loving kindness, bodhicitta, all of the good things that that person could possibly need. Um, in the kind of more tantric tonglen with the spear, it hits the core at your heart that's your collection of, of confusion and, and negative karma, that dark coal, and crushes it and turns it into a diamond that you then offer to that other being. And it's like this exchange that takes place. It's, it's really extraordinary. and uh, It's a really a transformational uh, practice. Um, I can definitely attest to that. Um, I'm a very different person. Lama probably could too. I'm a very different person than I was uh, before I started doing the Tonglen practice. It's been very, very uh, beneficial. Um, and so there's those kind of two forms and, and it is a wonderful practice because it helps us build um, connections to other people. It helps us see how we are interdependent. It helps us not feel so isolated and on our own, like we're just kind of out here doing everything and everybody else is out there. It really emphasizes the interdependence we have with one another, right? But sometimes the question is, well, what exactly am I doing when I'm transforming? How am I doing that? What am I really dealing with? Because Lama also often says it isn't enough to just be nice people, right? We're Vajrayana Buddhists. We're here um, to wake up 
and to transform our minds and to make sure that we wake up and everybody else wakes up too, right? And, and how do you really do that? And the interesting thing about Tong Len is a lot of times when you first come to it, you kind of think you're dealing with other people, right? Like there's this person over here and they're suffering or I'm having an issue with them, so I'm going to you know, take in all their bad stuff and make it better. But that isn't really exactly what's happening there. Um, in Geshe Damsha's uh, Lam Rim class a couple weeks ago, he talked a little bit about how we really can't absorb other people's karma and like purify it for them. Um, you know, we aren't like a medieval sin eater or something like that. Uh, the only person's karma we can really do anything about is whose? Exactly, our own. So, um, in the end, the Tonglen practice isn't about dealing with other people and making it so they can behave more like the way we want them to behave and we think they should. It's really about dealing with the reactions that arise in ourselves in relationship to those other people. Because remember, everything's interdependent, right? So that's the real key in Tonglen. It isn't me and them. It's all one thing. It's just our reactions, our clutches, as you know, Andrew's been speaking on. Uh, over the past several talks that he's given, he's talked about the different, you know, the clashes, the obscurations that arise. He just spoke about fear a couple of weeks ago. Um, and that's what we're really talking about here. In fact, even the Dalai Lama, who does Tonglen as a daily practice, he does Tonglen for all of us every day, which I find tremendously encouraging, by the way. Um, the Dalai Lama says, and this is a direct quote, whether this meditation really helps others or not, it gives me peace of mind, then I can be more effective and the benefit is immense. And that's really what we are in the end doing, not just in Tung Lan, but really in all of our Vajrayana practices, right? We're learning to transform ourselves so we can be more effective helper, real professional bodhisattvas, like Lama says, so that we can really help be skillful and not try and help while we're really just leaving wreckage in our wake, right? So, it really is kind of contrary to what we kind of think of. We aren't dealing with anything that um, is going on with another person. What we're transforming is our minds, and we're transforming them by pacifying those reactions. And um, in Andrew's... uh, last talk, he, he talked about fear as being kind of like a demon, right? And we, we hear that a lot about uh, the demons that we struggle with, and um, that's a common term kind of in our culture, and there's all kinds of things, fear, anger, addiction, envy, uh, you know, pride, false humility, I mean, it's like there are hundreds, literally, you could make a list and then go back and add to the list, and then you'd think of 15 other things, so there are literally hundreds of things like that that follow us everywhere and they all hinder our path to liberation Um, and they don't actually exist right they feel like they do but they don't actually exist they're just products of our own 
diluted minds. Um, they're products of our aggregates. Um, and they really do feel real. That's why we talk about like wrestling our demons or fighting our demons or subduing our demons. And we spend a lot of time and energy trying to do just that. And you know what? It doesn't work. It doesn't work. Um, I can tell you, I have many, many demons and I have tried to wrestle them and subdue them for years. And it doesn't work. And I finally just went to Lama and says, Lama, what works? I can't, I just don't have the energy anymore. And he told me something that really does work. And he asked me to tell all you guys about it. Um, Lama often talks about Buddha uh, as being a friendship model, right? Where, you know, we're friendly with each other. But we aren't just friendly with each other. We have to be friendly with ourselves, too, right? And um, it's just easier. When we're struggling with things, things get harder, right? But when we quit struggling, it's easier. It's like when you're working with a knot. The harder you work at the knot, the tighter it gets, right? The worse things get. But when you relax and just kind of look at things, and you just kind of, oh, okay, then you can start to see things, and things become easier, and eventually you can loosen that knot. Um, So we have these demons, these reactions, these clashes, and instead of fighting them, we actually need to make friends with them. And we not only need to make friends with them, we need to feed them. And we not just need to feed them, we need to give them everything they need. We need to take care of them. We need to make sure their every need, their every real need is taken care of. Because when we acknowledge those demons instead of trying to hide them or avoid them or get them to go away, when we engage them and draw them out, it seems counterintuitive, but what ends up happening is we're investing less energy into them and they become less powerful. So by being friendly, you're changing that dynamic. And suddenly, this demon that seemed gigantic and insurmountable doesn't have quite the same energy anymore. It's pretty amazing. Um, And this is actually a a practice um, that was developed by uh, Lama Sultram Alioni. Uh, she runs the Tara Mandala in Colorado, um, and she actually adopted it, adapted it from the Chud practice of the Yogini uh, Machik Lapchon, um, which is the cemetery practice. And it's a very, this is not, I want to be really clear, it is not the Chud practice. The Chud practice requires an empowerment and some very uh, strong training, working with uh, a teacher, um, and really involves very deep levels of, of you know, Prajnaparamita wisdom practice. Um, so this is not the Chud practice, but it's related. And it, it's just very interesting. In some ways, like, I was thinking this morning where, you know, Lama sometimes talks about the soft tongue len with the golden mist and the and the gray smoke as being kind of a psychological form, and then there's 
the tantric form. And this is almost like a, almost like a psychological form of a chud practice. Um, and I'm really new to it, so anything you hear that like sounds wise actually came from Lama La. <laughs> I'm just letting you know right here. Um, so this is the book that Lama had me read. Um, I, I, I was just falling apart. Uh, I just in a crevasse. And Lama said, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm, I'm to get you this book. You need to read this book. And um, because, again, I was struggling. And we all struggle. And we all fall into a crevasse. And I felt really stuck. And Lama knew, um, as he always does, exactly what I needed to get me unstuck again. And, um, you know, I'm li- reading this book. And I'm reading what you're doing, and initially I'm going, really? Role-playing? But I will tell you, just as an aside, Lama has never steered me wrong. Um, I started with Lama um, just as a therapy client. I didn't even know he was a Buddhist. And he would have me read books, and they always helped. And he would have me do stuff, and it would always help. So my advice to you as students a llama is, if he tells you directly to read a book, do it. There's a reason he said, he's not just saying random things. It wasn't just something that popped into his head. Um, Every book he's had me read has helped me tremendously. And he isn't here to waste his time or our time. He's here to help us wake up as quickly as possible. So do yourself a favor if he tells you to read something. Definitely, I highly recommend that you read it. Anyway. However, this also is not something you want to run off and do on your own. I don't recommend you go out this afternoon and pick up this book and bring it home and start trying to do it. Uh, This is an advanced practice, um, and it brings up a lot of stuff. Um, So you really, this is something you would want to talk to Lamala about if you become interested in it. You'd want to talk to him first and uh, see what he thinks um, about you doing it. Make sense? So, we all know we have these demons, these reactions, um, and they torment us, so we have to pacify them. And uh, sometimes you'll hear people refer to it as like ego, you know, like my ego, that's my ego arising, you know, and they talk about ego as though it's an entity separate from ourselves, which in a way it kind of gives us, uh, like on a psychological level, we kind of give ourselves an out that way because it's like, oh, that's just my ego, that's not me. Really bad news. That is you. Um, and in fact, Lama doesn't even like that term. And, and I, I agree. It's, it's because using that term, it gives us a dualistic view, right? Of something that is a, this separate, self-existing entity that kind of is off on its own and has, you know, silo. It's all siloed and has edges. But we know that isn't true, Right? You know, there's no ego that exists off on its own inherently by itself. There's just our desires, our reactions, all of which occur in relation to other things. Um, and they don't have inherent existence because they're all related to our fixed sense of self, right? They're all related to just our ignorance. So... 
the way to deal with these in this practice, it's, it's actually really brilliant. Uh, let me just, there's, there's five steps to it. And of course, initially, you, 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 what sets us aside from just a psychological practice is you always start by you know, setting an intention. You know, so you cultivate bodhicitta and doing this for the benefit of all beings. And you literally set up two chairs facing each other. And you have a demon. Pick one, anyone. Um, the first demon I worked with was self-loathing. So um, you pick a demon, and in the process, you begin to you get a feel for, okay, so when I feel self-loathing, where in my body do I feel it? So there's a process of becoming embodied, and I found that really helpful because in the future, when I start feeling that emotion, that reaction, maybe my body might give me a clue first before I get really wrapped up in that feeling, right? So it's like, where does that energy, that self-loathing energy hang out in my body? So you get a feeling for it, and then it's like, okay, what color is it? What does it feel like? What does it smell like? Does it have a shape? And then you, so you start getting a feel for all these qualities. And this is something, the whole process shouldn't take much more than half an hour. You're not like trying to like do a visualization. This is just coming up. It's what's actually happening. And then you visualize the demon in the chair across from you. And it might be an animal, might be a person, might be a monster. Um, the recommendation is that you make it into some sort of an entity um, because once you visualize that demon in front of you, you're going to talk to them. And you're going to have a very brief conversation. And you're going to ask the demon, what do you want? What do you need? And how will you feel when you get what you need? And then you get up and you get in the other chair. And you visualize yourself as the demon. And you immediately tell you, in the other chair, what you want, what you need, and how you'll feel when you get what you need. And then the process flips back and you sit down in the other chair and you feed the demon. You dissolve yourself. If the demon, my self-loathing demon, um, basically just wanted to crush me so I could no longer function and just make my life miserable until I destroyed everything, myself, other people. And because there was no point to me even trying. And what did the demon need? The demon needed stability and strength and support. And how would the demon feel? So I went through this process with the self-loathing demon. And I, when the demon said, I need support and strength, what happens is, is you dissolve yourself into a nectar. You visualize yourself as dissolving into a nectar that is just the embodiment of that need. And you give just an unending supply of that to the demon. And you just sit and picture that flowing to the demon. And they can be drinking it out of a cup. It can be enveloping them and going through every pore, in through their nose and mouth. Whatever happens... But you feed it and feed it and feed it 
And eventually, what happens is the demon begins to change. Um, and in this part of the practice, an ally often appears and you... Um, sometimes it just happens. Sometimes you have to kind of invite them, depending on what happens during this process. But an ally appears because the demon has finally gotten not what it wants, but what it needs. Its needs have been met. And then when the ally appears, you immediately ask the ally, what do you have for me? What wisdom can you give me? What promise do you make to me? What, what do you pledge to me? And you switch back and you become the ally. And you tell yourself, I am here to do this. I am going to give you this. I pledge. So when I did the self-loathing demon, and the demon needed support, you know, and just to feel strong, Imagine my surprise when a badger appeared. Um, And there was this badger sitting across from me saying, you know, when you feel that self-loathing, I will be there and you can come and depend on me and I will sit with you and be with you and be strong for you. And you're thinking about a badger, right? A badger lives in the ground. Badgers are strong, powerful creatures, very kind of stable, low to the ground, you know, they don't tip over easily. Um, So I was like, and I'm also doing art along with this, I'm drawing the demon, drawing the badger, um, and I'm like, well, this is really intriguing. And and this was actually the first session I did, and uh, several days later, after I had done this particular reading, that that self-loathing demon came up again, and again, I, I have this skeptical side, so I'm like, okay, this is silly, but I'm going to do it. And I visualize, I sat down, and I visualized the badger sitting on the couch next to me, and I had my arm around him, and we're just kind of <laughs> hanging out. And it worked. It worked. And I'll tell you why. I thought about that a lot. Right? Because it isn't magic. It isn't magic. So why did it work? And I, I thought a lot about that. Um, it works for a few reasons. You can see that this is kind of a gestalt kind of role-play model. Um, you know, very almost classic in a way. Um, there is a significant difference um, For one thing, after that last step of talking to the ally, um, there's a very important fifth step where uh, you may have heard the phrase like rest in Elia, the kind of a moment of wisdom. Um, The fifth step in this is you are actually, once you have spoken to the ally and everything's done, you take a moment and you just rest in that space where there is no demon, there are no wants or needs, everything's fulfilled, and there's nothing happening. That doesn't happen in Gestalt therapy. 
that is where you are resting in that tiny, and for me it's teeny, tiny glimpse of Prajnaparamita, that glimpse of true wisdom that's not self-fixated, that arises. Um, this whole process gets us outside kind of our habitual thought loops, you know, like discursive thoughts that lead to afflictive emotions that then lead to ego clinging. Um, And it helps us to see the duality in our thoughts by acting them out, right? You actually really get to see the duality in the way you're thinking. And it reminds us of the interdependence of the way we act, we react, and the way we live, and the way we actually just fundamentally exist by bringing the want into the context of a relationship where it isn't just this thing that's this huge thing sitting out there on its own. It, it isn't. It's not this thing that has power over us. So it brings everything into like a relationship with a context, and suddenly you can actually begin to work with it. Um, it doesn't exist like discreetly outside yourself. Um, and it allows you to begin to distinguish the difference between what's a want and what is an actual need. And the critical part about that is that when our actual needs don't get taken care of, um, in our minds, they become unresolved wants because they get wrapped up in our self-fixation. And we start attaching desire to them. We start layering our own delusions on top. So by being able to see the actual need, we avoid the whole problem of the wants starting to develop. Um, so again, it's that fifth step that delineates this from being just like a just a therapeutic role play and takes it into being like a tantric style practice. Um, really, the fifth step is to just rest in awareness. Uh, uh, I love Lama says the, the space free from self-fixation. Um, and, it, and it really is extraordinary. After the practice, there really is, there's, a, there's this gap that opens up and it's just your mind is released and you're not investing all of this energy into controlling it. And for me right now, it's just like super brief, but it's, it's there. It really is there. This is not theoretical. It's there. Um, I told Lama, I said, you know, it's just, it's incredible because in that gap, even though it's like just like a nanosecond, Inside of it, there's like this sense of ease that just, it, it's, it's really extraordinary. So, um, it isn't occupied by me or a demon or anything else. So, it's just this real kind of relief of just, you know, it's kind of like after you do like really, really, really hard labor. And then you're finally at the end, you're like done, and you just kind of collapse on the ground. It's like, oh. That's what it feels like. That just kind of, oh. I can just let go. Um, 
Mama Aleone in the book says, uh, you created a window into a state that's free from subconscious chatter, emotional distractions, and the many fixations that make up our daily lives. Um, the beginning of knowing our own true nature. Um, and that's really what this is about, is about becoming, getting glimpses of our Buddha nature, which is there, right, all the time. We're the ones who just kind of pile all this stuff on top of it. So this practice is a really good way of allowing you to start kind of dealing with that stuff. And over time, it comes up less. It really does. Um, so now, you know, we have this stability and emotional awareness, and we've transformed our demon into an ally. So instead of investing energy in toward a, a, an internal struggle, we can take that energy and invest it in training and practice in our everyday lives. And, you know, it's like I always wonder, gosh, how does Lama do it, right? How does he have all that energy? Ta-da! Maybe not necessarily this specific practice, but it's that, the energy of just not having to invest so much energy into just walking around and functioning. So it's really profound because you're cultivating that stability and that balance by doing that. Doing that is the only way, right, that we're ever going to be able to get down to the real business of not just living our lives, but the real business of dealing with our delusional, fixated sense of self. And that's the real value behind this technique. Um, it speeds us toward awakening. Um, I just, I can't even tell you how grateful I am for this. Um, uh, for me, I, I, I think in pictures. Um, you may have noticed I'm not a super linear person, um, and I tend to think in pictures. So for me, this is like, just it, it just really opened that up for me. Um, and just, you know, like on a personal level, um, again, I, I wouldn't be ta- doing this talk today if this didn't really work. Uh, I, don't, I don't do tongue. I, I, the reason I asked Lama Lot if I could maybe lead a tongue Lin group was because it really works, and I wanted people to know that it really works. And Lama often says, this stuff works. It is not a joke. It really does. Um, if you do the practice and practice diligently and invest the time, over time, it does work. Um, another thing Lama often tells us and has said to me over and over again, um, Kevin says, you know, he's often said to me, you have everything you need. You know, he tells us, we have everything we need. And, of course, our deluded minds immediately go, <laughs> and we like the list pops up. It's like we have like, start scrolling by, kind of like a CVS receipt or something. But seriously, you guys, it's true. You have everything you need. And this practice has really helped me to see that it's true because Again, there's no entity outside you doing this, right? It's all you. The demon is us, but the ally is us. And the offerings come from us. So it's us giving us everything we need. It means to awaken. Um,
all you have to do is allow yourself to give it and receive it. Um, it really, really does work. Um, there is no reason to look outside ourselves and see things from a place of scarcity, which is what I know I tend to do. Um, I know we all tend to kind of see things from a place of scarcity. Um, all the things we all believe other people or phenomena or situations will give us um, that only other people can give us, uh, we can actually give to ourselves. Uh, and we don't have to build up uh, anger and resentment um, and cling to wants and build up anger and resentment over unfulfilled wants because the needs we have can be fulfilled. Um, and we don't have to blame others when we don't get what we need because our needs can be fulfilled. Um, and it sounds magical, but it isn't. All we're doing, you guys, is getting out of our own way. So our true Buddha nature, that light that's inside every single one of us, is our human birthright. It's there, and it can shine through. We just have to get out of the way. It's like Lama says, it's polishing the mirror. And that's it. So, it works. Questions? Comments? Complaints? <laughs> rumors? Mama, yes, for rumors. <laughs> Um, Milarepa, who is um, one of the great uh, Buddhist saints um, in the Kagyu tradition, um, was a yogi who lived. He was a he lived in a cave for oh decades, wasn't it? Right, yeah. decades. Anyway, he went to his cave one day, and it was full of demons. And so he sat outside the cave and looked at him and thought, okay, so let's see, I can't go in that cave because it's full of demons. And then he figured, well, but it's my cave. <laughs> 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 so he goes in and he does essentially the same thing that you've been talking about, that Sultan Malione is, is, is creating this, this practice. Um, he just looks at the demons and he... Um, says, you know, what do you want? Exactly. And he just gives them what they want. And there was finally, as it turns out, there was one really big, bad, nasty demon who just would not leave. Because Milarepa just surrendered to him. You know, he just surrendered to him. He didn't fight him. He just surrendered mm -hmm. to him. But this one demon wouldn't leave. So Milarepa crawled into his mouth. He just crawled in there yep. and said, mm -hmm. here. You know, eat me, take me, whatever you need. And it disappeared. Mm -hmm. So it's, you know... Yeah, very similar. Everything old, I have, all I have is right, yours. Right, exactly. I'm just going to so give you old, what old you need. From, um, so it's obviously something that has been in the tradition for... Oh, yeah, absolutely. ...many, many years. 
Thank you. What a great story. This has been a Lion's Roar Dharma Center recording. For more information, visit lionsroardharmacenter.org.